1: And I also want to thank all my listeners, all my guests from all over this globe. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a unique show. And on this show, I interview people who are relatively ordinary people who have experienced extraordinary circumstances. All of them are, will relate to people in different ways because it could be because they have had a debilitating disease or they have overcome cancer or they have had financial situations that were overwhelming, any number of things. But each story, each person, each guest has overcome these problems and they want to share their story of how they did that each guest was in a place of hopelessness a place where you don't know if put you can put one foot in front of the other and keep going and yet they did they got their strength they got their stamina they turned their lives around and through that they not only share their story but also how they did it and that's what we're looking for people who have gone through extreme circumstances who have been able to get tips and helps and motivations and inspirations to keep going. We are now in over 120 countries, and the message is the same. There is always hope. With me today, I have Mary L. Schmidt. She is an artist, and she's also an author of 12 Books. Now, she didn't start writing until she retired from her nursing career, and so she's written a lot of books since then. She wrote her memoir, which was her first book, entitled, When Angels Fly. During her nursing career, she had also received coveted awards for her service, and so what that tells me is she is a woman with a big heart. And not only a big heart because of her love for others, but what she had to endure herself. And that's what we're going to tap into today. Her memoir is the story of a woman who was able to rise above those extremely abusive circumstances in her childhood. She was abused not only in her childhood, but also in her marriage. And then, through all of that, she had to deal with the loss of her young son to cancer. She has written and illustrated eight children's books, which deal with difficult issues that young children have to deal with, such as abuse and bullying. But I'm getting ahead of myself because we're going to start from the beginning and talk to Mary and have her share her incredible strength with us today. Welcome, Mary.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Love uh, being here.
1: Well, let's start Mary with what made you strong. So, I'm I'm going to start with how you dealt with your childhood abuse. So, tell us a little bit about what it was like and how you coped with what you went through.
2: I can tell you that starting around age 5 to 6 years old, my mother decided that I was that I was going to be force-fed peas and other things that I really did not like to eat. But peas came to the forefront. (laughs) She thought I should eat peas and she would force feed me until I would throw them throw up. And she did that repeatedly at supper time whenever peas were on the menu, she did that. And she did more things than that. She was always making remarks that would put me down. And so as a child from a young age, my self-esteem was basically zero. I could never do anything good enough for her. I, as I, when I got a little older, I was watching how laundry was being done, and I thought maybe I could get approval from her, and I could be washing all of these clothes because there were seven kids in the family. I could wash loads of clothes, hang them up, fold them after they were dry, and put them, place them on the beds wherever they go. And even that didn't satisfy her. There was nothing I could do that satisfied her. Ultimately, after 21 years of marriage, she left my father. And my father, by the way, was really awesome. They got divorced. Um, I was 14 at the time. I chose to live with my father. And then he was forced to sell the big house, after which then... I had nowhere to stay because he had a a one-bedroom apartment. So then I had to move in with my mother. And then abuse started all over again. Only now she was punching me, kicking me, hitting me, dragging me around by my hair. She didn't care if it was in front of my friends. She didn't care who saw anything. She did so much. And it's it's sometimes it's hard to think about what she's done. She also made sure that she left wounds where, bruises where, they couldn't be seen if you're wearing clothing. So if she she would kick me in the stomach or the ribs. And all I wanted to do was as soon as I hit age 18, I wanted to move out. I needed to escape. And so that's what I. But I at age 18 I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I was working from my high school job I was working as a waitress and as a waitress you don't make a whole lot of money and I couldn't move out and then I but then I was starting to date some other guys and then he said that I could move in with him and so I thought finally I was going to get away from my mother and all the cruelty that she's ever done And have a happy life. And sometimes when you're leaving or trying to get away from a really bad, horrible situation, horrible home life with, I mean, the neighbors were afraid of her. Wow. I had to leave. And so that's what I did. And I thought that by leaving and moving in with this man, I would have be happier. Of course. That's what I thought. And then, unfortunately, it didn't turn out to be that way. My mother married numerous times, and she had one more child in the family. He was born with Down syndrome. Beautiful, beautiful baby boy. Really loved him. He died at two years of age after having surgery on his heart. He didn't make it, and that was a very traumatic time for me because I had loved that baby. I had made him his last birthday cake and I just was doing different things and anyways and my mother took it out on me she would take it out on me on phone calls uh, where she would just yell at me and she, because I was living with, with a man and we were not married and she was she would often say well that I was just a sperm receptacle and I mean she belittled me and everything my little brother died and His father, who was married to my mother at the time, was so depressed. And one evening, uh, my mother came over to me. We were living in another town five miles away. And it was unusual because she'd never been there before. And she came, and she wanted to talk, and she wanted to laugh and joke around. And then all of a sudden, she brought up, well, do you think, my my stepfather would that he would kill himself or shoot himself and they said I don't know why you're even talking about that why would he do that well come to find out the next morning because I was investigating the police called me but my stepfather did end up with a shot, shotgun he ended up with a gut shot gunshot wound into the abdomen and he was depressed didn't want to live. And then finally um, there came a point in the hospital stay where he decided he would cough and so that he could keep from getting pneumonia and that, it was too late. He was coughing and doing what he was supposed to do and his incisions split open and he had to go back into surgery and it wasn't long after that he died from pneumonia. My point being is my mother abused him. Of all things, my mother married him three times. Oh, my God. Imagine that. No. And before that, she was married to another man who, six weeks after they got married, he had a heart attack. My mother became known as the black widow. That was what she was called. So,
1: obviously, you were a product of abuse to the point that it still is affecting you, Mary. And I know that there are people that can relate to that because even though you have, you know, like you said, your mother has passed, but the damage was done and you didn't stay there. And that's the important part. Even though you still have vivid memories, I mean, you you became a mother yourself and you had a mother's heart. So you certainly did not allow what your mother did to you to affect how you raised your children. And I know that's why this is very disturbing for you. Now we can hear it in your voice and we we have empathy and sympathy for you and want to continue to hear what else happened to give you the strength to get through the rest of your life. So let's go to when you were married. Was that a good marriage?
2: Well marriage started off fairly, really, you know, pretty good as far as what I knew a marriage to be like, because what did I have, you know, to compare it to? And he drank on weekends. He drank a lot. And he started to become he wasn't abusive for a couple of years and then I got pregnant. And I thought, okay, this is going to be wonderful. I'm going to have this baby I've always wanted Mm. and um, not just shy of being able to have a full term birth um, he stopped moving in me and so I had to go to the doctor saw him and my son had got tangled up in his cord and strangled himself inside me Oh. and so they had to induce labor and my husband didn't come to the hospital he wasn't there for anything and labor was induced and you know you can't really keep a baby inside after you know when everything's Uh going like that and so that's when Joshua was born my mother she did one thing one thing she did that the only thing that she did the only thing that I ever consider that she did that really was something to help me out was she drove to the hospital and well she arranged to have a funeral home pick up my baby's body, and then she took it. And we had a small service and buried him. And that is the only thing that I can remember that she ever did for me to help me out. That's it. And I was so despondent over losing, I was depressed of course. and despondent over losing Joshua. And it was just really hard because he was perfect little boy. It's just that the cord was around his neck twice. And I don't know why that happened. And I was upset. And then my husband came physically abusive. He didn't just stop with that. He was also verbally, mentally, emotionally abusive to me. And I thought, what can I do to change this so that things are better, so that there's a better relationship? What can I do to make this be the way that all the other people are and not like how I grew up? And I ended up becoming pregnant again. And my mother, she would sneer at me and she would say, you're not even going to carry that baby to term or he's going to be born dead too. And I was just really upset. I did everything I could. He would not, there would be no reason for my son on my end, to have any problems, and I, I did give birth to him. His name is Noah, and he came out blue, but he was his first Apgar was bad, uh, second one was much better, and he's still thriving to this day. That is wonderful. There is there is a silver
1: lining to that cloud, right? And I'm sure that yes. Sorry, did you leave him at this point, or what happened after that?
2: Well, he became he even liked Noah too, or he acted like he did, and he left me alone. And I was under this impression that if you were nursing, you couldn't get pregnant.
1: Oh. wrong impression right
2: (laughs) yeah i got pregnant went on with this pregnancy and i had another little boy and his name is eli both of my boys they just they grew up being best friends or they could be angry at each other they were just like they were twins it was (laughs) wonderful i thought everything was good and then um this is hard to talk about.
1: Of course. My my
2: my husband was this more and more abusive, and he would miss work. He would be too drunk to go to work, and they were enabling him because they would fire him, and two days later they would hire him back, and it was just a unending cycle. He had, at last count, that I knew he had 23 driving while under the influence oh, violations. So he was back to being extremely abusive, mentally. Physically, emotionally. My Noah can remember, sadly. He can remember to this day when his father threw me into the kitchen wall and knocked me out. Broke, shattered the plaster. How old
1: was Noah at the time? Five. Okay, so it would have made an impact. Yes. Um, I'm sure that people are wondering, Mary, and this is often the question to women who go through similar situations, is why did you stay?
2: Because I was afraid to leave because he said he would kill me.
1: And I've heard that so often. And, and so you were in fear.
2: I was in more than fear. And I would do anything. If, if he was drunk and being abusive, I'd try to get him to lay down or sit on the sofa, and then he'd eventually just fall asleep. And then I could keep the kids quiet or take them in and to the bedroom and read to them and do things. And he could just sleep it off. But some things happened that I finally, I finally decided, I have to leave. I have to take my two boys. I have to get out of here. One of those that happened was I had come home from work and he pulled up in the driveway a short time later and neither of the boys were wearing a seatbelt and there was a loaded shotgun well there was a shotgun in the back window of the car and so they came in the boys came in they were fine they had gone out fishing Um, husband was drunk I saw the shotgun And I thought, oh, no. And so I took the shotgun out, and I said, you cannot do this with children. You can't leave them in the back seat with a gun. And he said, don't worry, it's not loaded. And so I went, and I emptied out all the shells from the shotgun that was completely loaded. So you couldn't trust him? No. I couldn't. I came home from work. Eli had a sinus infection. I was placing a new antibiotic, and I had given him his first dose. And I came home from work, and when I got there, my husband just said to me, "Well, he doesn't look quite right. I think he's got a temperature." And I went over to Elon, and I looked at him, and he had big red raised rash, and he was having it going into an anaphylactic reaction
1: oh, from my the end.
2: So I grabbed him in a blanket, and I drove him, because I had to drive him four miles to get to the ER. And I got there, and they immediately gave him some medication to counteract the antibiotic. It it was very close. If I had not got home when I did, he would have died. And that's when I decided, okay, I've got to do something. And so started trying to make plans with a friend on how I could get out and move into an apartment and how to do it without having my husband involved at the time, without him knowing. And so we did that. We did. She came over. Several people helped. And we left while he was passed out on the couch. One night we moved out. And he did not even realize it the next day. It was it took two <laughs> days before he realized it.
1: So you had abuse as a child you had your husband abuse you you lost a child what is happening to mary during all this is she getting stronger or is she becoming weaker and not knowing how she's going to cope like where did you get your strength and your stamina to pick up those boys and leave how did you handle that
2: my initial strength came from me wanting to be the best mother and my love for my boys. I had prayed that I get the my boys out to get my boys and myself out of here and into a better situation. God would sometimes somehow something would work out and we would be okay. I also had a friend that was very supportive and I will always remember that. All the help I received in getting and getting and moving out—it was within me, myself, and my determination that I was going to give my boys a life that they should have versus one that they were that they had been in. I wanted them to experience more of just the love and the connectedness and hugs and. Which I gave them from the day they were born.
1: Right. You wanted a balance.
2: Right. Things that I never, my mother never hugged me. Of course. But siblings didn't hug each other. None of that stuff happened Mm -hmm. growing up. Well, it wasn't a
1: loving home. You didn't know you wanted to make your home a loving home, and then you had to cope with your husband. Yes. So, tell us what happened with your son, because... This is where the book was inspired from, right? It was also your your life, but also what happened with your little boy. So share with us that story.
2: He was four, and he, started, he was in preschool. People were getting sinus infections, and it was initially because some things were just going around. Okay. So he was on a lot of antibiotics, and then he would get another sinus infection, or he'd get a... All these different upper respiratory infections, he would be treated with different medications, but he never really got better. Right. Or if he did, it was very short term. So Eli was on a lot of antibiotics. Um, Noah he too developed an upper respiratory infection, but he only had it once and he became well, Eli did not. He just became sicker and sicker. I took him I was taking him to the doctor at least every other week up until um, Thanksgiving of 1989, and even on, in Thanksgiving of 1989, he was still sick. But and he had mono. He contracted mono simply because his immune system was so low from being uh. so sick. And and I had family over for Thanksgiving that day. Some of my siblings. And it was a really good day. And Eli looked like he was a normal little boy, nothing going on. Then we go into December, and he's still looking normal. And we go through Noah's having a birthday, Christmas comes. Oh, all the while my ex was harassing me, in just about with phone calls and just everything you can imagine. He was. Verbally doing that.
1: So you had to deal with that stress too, is what you're saying. Every day. Okay. Yes. So what happened with uh, Eli?
2: Then, then come January, um, the one of the ear, nose, and throat specialists said, "Well, I think t-, he's thought that tubes would help, but tubes in his ears would help him." And so he scheduled that for the beginning of February of 1990. And so he went and he put tubes in. However, he had problems putting the tube in the right ear. It kept coming back out. And he didn't understand why I was doing that, but he finally decided that he got it in there okay. And surgery was done. In hindsight, what he missed was the fact that there was a large tumor.
1: Oh, my word.
2: That was preventing the tube from getting put in the way that one would normally expect for that to happen for a child. Um, CT scans were done. Other things were done. Everything always came back. sinus infection. Really? Yes. Now, I have those films. I do have them. And you can see a mass the size of my fist.
1: Oh, my goodness. They were
2: misread. But at that time, we didn't know. And then one evening, the very beginning of March 1990, I noticed that Eli couldn't see very well out of his right eye. And I thought, that's odd. And then the right side of his face started to droop. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is wrong. And I took him up. To the clinic, and I ended up having two doctors. One was saying it was Bell's palsy, which is a disorder that causes the nerves and droopiness, and the other one was saying it's his. Both were wrong. Um, ended up going back home. Went back to the hospital two days later because he was really sick, and Eli couldn't see anything from his right eye. And he said, that's because there's a tumor. He's got a tumor. That was before even telling me. He's just telling the nurse, and I'm just standing in there. I took my son, and we went to a bigger city. They did further testing. They also did a biopsy, but they couldn't. They weren't going to treat it. Um, they, they brought up x-rays that had, and CT scans that had been taken prior, and they found where they had been misread which was upsetting
1: of course it would be upsetting and your child's life's at stake here and i'm sure you had to deal with all kinds of emotions including anger at that point
2: i was angry as so many people i was just angry i said this is because it's not right for this to happen to an innocent child it's not supposed to be this way.
1: So did you do anything? Did you talk to the to the doctors? Did you voice your opinion, or how did you how did you deal with what you were going through, with what you were seeing happening in in his care?
2: I said nothing. I said absolutely nothing. Um, the surgeon suggested that I take my son to a medical center in a large city, and that's exactly what I did. There more tests were done, biopsies were done and it was decided that he had rhabdomyo, sarcoma soft tissue cancer had started in his neck and went up through a little fossa in the brain cavity and got into his brain and he also had metastases to both lungs so he had stage 4 how old is he at this point? 5 years old
1: oh my word
2: and so um, I can pretty much sum it up um that the next seven and a half months were pure hell for him. That's all I can say it was. He was sick, so sick from the chemo, so sick from radiation. He couldn't eat. He had to have um IV nutrition. He was frightened. It just it just it seemed like it was never in and Sam put up with so so much in his little life. And while at the medical center he uh he made a big impact on the people that he met, people there.
1: Did he have a good attitude? Is that what you're saying?
2: He did. He would he would try to, you know, get us around and spurt at nurses and different people or hide under a gurney and spurt at people when he was in isolation. <laughs> Chemo is good. And in children, and in 1990, they really gave children, they hit it harder for children. As he would always do after a round of chemo and radiation, he would drop his counts would drop and he would get sick and have a fever and need to be in isolation until his counts came up. Only this time he wasn't getting that any better. And his counts were coming up and he was going he was getting worse and he wasn't able to keep up oxygen saturations and he ended up having to be taken really fast to the ice the pediatric ICU, and when he went into the ICU, I went right in with him, and they said, you can't be in here because we need to intubate him, and I said, I'm going to be here, I'm here, I'm not leaving, and they said, we really don't want you in here, and I said, you're going to have me in here, (laughs) and so I stayed at the, against the wall, at the foot end of Eli's bed, and they went down with the tube, and it was the wrong side, and a lot of blood gushed out. Then they went down with a second tube and they were able to intubate him. And he lived that way for 15 days. His heart was stopped. I just had to beg. My husband did just let him go because he was putting Eli through so much. And Eli was already gone. Anyways, and I just had my arms around his son. And finally... um, my husband agreed. He shook his head yes, and so the plug was pulled from the ventilator, and he had passed away. And after the nurses removed tubing and things, um, I held him for about 20 minutes in my arms in a rocking chair. I couldn't breathe. It was too hard for me to get air in and out. It is the most horrible experience to lose a child the way I did. And it hurts to breathe and you're in shock.
1: Mary, you're showing your heart and you're showing your strength. And I know that as people are listening to your story, they are wondering, how did you make it? How do you go one day at a time? It's the only way I'm sure that you got through this experience. And no, losing a child is by far the worst experience. No parent should have to lose a child. No parent should have to go first, in other words, right? And not only did you lose one, but you lost two. And so the burden that you were carrying was immense and you still had a child at home. You had to be there for that child, too. You had an abusive relationship. I mean, how much can one person handle? But you did marry, and you did come out the other side. And after bearing two children, you were able to pick yourself up, you were able to write your memoir, and then take that pain and the experience and your knowledge that you gained from that and put it into writing children's books and also your memoir. And in your children's books, I know that you deal with some subjects that are difficult for children to have to deal with. So what inspired you to write your story?
2: Because I was inspired because Eli inspired so many people. He touched the lives of so many people at the medical center, doctors, nurses, visitors. Of other kids, other kids, school teachers, and it was just amazing the impact he had on them. And during this time, while I was there, I wanted to keep track of everything, and I did. I kept the journals going.
1: You turned so also, that journal into a book, then?
2: I did. I also added a little more to the book, but I did use the journals as the basis for the book. I kept track of what was going on in real time. Mm. And I had multiple journals. Um, and I didn't do it at that point. I didn't do it because for a buck. I did it because I wanted to understand my, how he was being treated. I wanted to understand, know where we were at in his treatment. I wanted to write down happy little things that happened or funny little things. I mean, that's precious memories.
1: Of course it is.
2: But the other, my you know, Noah... My mother was not a person. I had to be at this medical center 230 miles away from Noah, and Noah had to be kept safe.
1: So, is this what inspired your two books then about childhood abuse? And uh, tell us what happened there.
2: Coming back from the medical center, coming back home, I did get a, end up getting a divorce, and I also met my life mate, and we. Did get married. With him came a bonus daughter. She was abused by her stepfather. Oh, anyways, my husband decided to take her, his ex to court, and he did receive he gained custody, a little custody, so that ended that. As far as uh, her being abused, there are a lot of children who are abused. Noah, unfortunately, um, he, too, was molested one time he was around nine years old. Maybe eight. Eight years old. And he had... It was at a park. Uh, one block from my house. One block from my house. You could actually see the bathroom there. And he was approached in a bathroom at the
1: park. So this is what inspired you to write... Susie uh, has a secret. My sister has a secret. Okay. Susie and
2: has a secret.
1: secret has a, Sorry. Susie has a secret. So in Susie has a secret... Does Do you relate this like these stories, or is it basically a story of a, a, a little girl or a little boy? Tell us about the book.
2: Okay, it's about a little girl, and it's her uncle who wanted to do a tickling game, and then he wanted to keep it a secret.
1: So, and similar then, to what your son went through.
2: Yes, and then, so it goes through, and it goes through the different children and um, how they were feeling until... One of her friends' brother, who's older, said that she did tell her mom and dad, and of course she did. And then in the back of the book, there's a lot of information on how to help a child who okay. you, you suspect has been molested. Um, there's a lot of helpful information for adults and educational Good,
1: persons. good. Yes. And what about the the other book was the Big Cheese Festival. What was that one?
2: I have seen so many kids be bullied, and I've seen adults be bullied.
1: you talking time. about within the school system or like friends of your...
2: The whole nine yards. Okay, all right. And I was tired of... There are so many children who, because of bullying, they take, they take this suicide. You read about it on the Internet, social media, or in the newspaper... All this kind of thing. And so I felt like I had to put out a book to take a proactive stance and try to prevent bullying, teaching children how to not bully. Why is it not a good thing to do? So that's how okay. the, the Big Cheese Festival came about. It's I used um, some mice in this story. And one of the mice had a stubby tail because he's a half, he had half his, something happened and half of his tail was gone. And so he was being picked on. Okay. Because he was being called half tail mice (laughs) or mouse and different things. And I wanted kids, younger age kids, to be able to relate to it so that they could grow up knowing that bullying is wrong.
1: So it's a written as a story to children, but then you have the helps for the adults after that. Yeah. Okay. All right. And is there anything else, any other books that you want to share? I know you've written several. You've written 12 books. Are they all children? Eight of them are children's books, right? Um, do they all deal with issues?
2: Not like the, not like Susie has a secret in the Big Cheese Fest. Okay. We have, um, our daughter has a a small dog, and we have some really funny squirrels in our backyard. So, I started writing. I have a series that's being written. Actually, um, we just finished book four, and it's has things that helps kids learn. For instance, the first one is how a dog. And two squirrels become best friends.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: that's all because of a lost little squirrel. And right. so this female dog, Shadow, is having his mama squirrel, you know, find him. And, and it teaches kids, you know, what to, um, you know, to listen to their parents, not hide, get lost. And then the second one in the series is they go on, they go camping. And there they learn how to put out fires, campfires, um, boating safety, and that kind of thing. The third one in the series goes; they go and visit um, one of the squirrels' cousin, his cousin cousin Rocky, in the Colorado mountains. And so there they learn travel safety. They also learn that that um, the squirrels out there sleep in burrows, not in not in nests like in um, you know in a So they're they're educational. Yes, they're educational. They're
1: educational, they're encouraging for kids, and they give tips um, for adults, and I understand you've illustrated them as well.
2: I do all of my book covers. And
1: And you are an artist, which we never really had a chance to talk about. You've written a cookbook. So in other words, considering everything that you have gone through, and I know that's what we zeroed in on today, you also have a lot of positive things in your life. And this is what keeps Mary going. And this is the message that I'm hearing as you are sharing from your heart. But you have to take even the bad things in your life and find a way to help people who may have gone through something similar and also to not stay there, to not live there, but to find an avenue of release. And with you, it sounds like it has been in the arts, both um, in painting or drawing and in writing. So this is where your energy has gone and you've tapped into that. And I believe this is the message possibly in summary that you want to give to people who have had many negative experiences in their life and what they can do to focus on the good.
2: Exactly. Um, Again, back to the motherhood, the children, I want to help children. Um, Back to parents, I want to help parents who have recently, or not so recently, lost a child. You know, I want to be able to validate what they're feeling, what they're thinking. Okay. I want to be able to help those who have not lost a child to help to them to understand the parent who has.
1: Good point. Okay.
2: And so, because and it's important to know that. You know, you might take one step forwards and then half a step backwards. It's a process. For those who have lost a child or children, it is an ongoing day-after-day process of rewriting your life. It's a
1: process. That's right. And that's what you have done.
2: Yes, I have. And I no longer have anger at God. Um, I don't understand why it happened.
1: (laughs) That's, that's the big question, right, but it did uh, happen.
2: It did happen, and I did become stronger. I could have taken different ways, of, uh, different avenues there. You know, I could mm-hmm. have gone into drugs or anything, you know, alcohol, what have you, but I didn't. Um, so I, For one thing, I had Noah, and then um, my husband that I'm married to now, I had him, he was a friend back when Eli was going through his problems, and he became more to me um, after I had got divorced. So, again, he is best friend, great basis for a strong marriage.
1: That's wonderful. So, a, a sad story with a happy ending, and that is what we all want to have in our lives in general, right? Yes, is even if we've had a negative experience, but if we can turn that around and help others and have a happy ending, um, we find our joy and our peace. So I thank you, Mary. You, as I mentioned a couple times already, you definitely shared from your heart today, and I know there are going to be people who will relate, who will welcome your story and. Possibly want to contact you. I know that you are available for that, and I have all your contact information in the show notes. And I thank you for being so raw, so naked per se, and letting us hear your story, your tears, but also knowing that no matter what you have gone through, you are stronger, you are better, you are definitely a survivor. And I applaud you for what you are doing to help children and families with similar situations. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.